Now this is a Scottish Traveller tale. The Scottish Traveller tales are fantastic. That's why I love them so much. And also it's from a dear old friend of mine, Stanley Robertson, who was a wonderful storyteller. And if there was one thing about Stanley, he could seem very kind of doer and, and humorless when you met him, but once he was up on stage, it was another man came and took his place. He could have you roaring and laughing, shaking with fear or weeping with sorrow if he wanted to. And he loved ghost stories. And so this is a traveller ghost story called Robbie Ha and the Black Laird. Not really suitable for children. Now, there was a traveller man called Robbie Ha. Now, the reason he was called Robbie Ha wasn't because his surname was Hall, which is how he would say it in Scotland, he'd say Ha, but his name was actually Robbie Johnston. But Ha, in the traveller's cant, in their own language, means somebody who likes to eat a lot. Now, Robbie wasn't really the sort of man that was a glutton, but he did have a big, fat belly, and he was a big, strong, powerful man. So they all called him Robbie Ha. Now he liked to travel around, and he loved to travel in the highlands, and there was one village in particular that he had a real soft spot for. He used to go there every, every summer, and he would camp uh, about half a mile out of the village, in a little wood. And he loved to camp there, and he just regarded it as his home. And he always pitched his tent in the same spot. Now the thing is, that where he used to pitch his tent was not far away from the graveyard. The graveyard that served the whole village, the whole community round about, was only about a hundred yards down the road, on the opposite side of the road from where he was camped. And people said, Are you worried about being camped next to the graveyard? And he said, No, no, I've got fine, quiet neighbours. They don't bother me. So he loved to sit, to settle there. There was a little stream that ran down the side, and he got his water from there, and he could wash there in the morning as well. Well, he pitched his tent, and he spent the night there, and he went down to the stream the next day, and he washed himself, and he came up, and he lit himself a wee fire, and he boiled some water to make tea, and he decided to have three fried duck eggs for his breakfast. So, after a hearty breakfast, he set off down the town. He had a few things that he'd made, and some tins as well, some uh, buckets and things that he'd made from tin, and he was selling them around the houses. And everything was fine. And then he'd noticed, well, he'd noticed it before, but he'd never really paid attention to it. But there was a big house up on the hill, and it looked kind of dilapidated. It was kind of in need of a bit of repair. It looked like it had been neglected for a long time. But he thought, well, worth a try. So he walked up the road up to this big house. And when he came to the door, he saw that all the paint on the door was peeling. 
it had been left neglected for a long time. And there was a strange-looking door-knocker on it that had a ram's head on it. So he knocked three loud knocks on that knocker. And a young woman came to the door. She was quite a, a plump young lass from down the village, and she looked scared. What, what, what is it you want? She says, uh, "It's the master of the house in." Eh, uh, she looked a bit puzzled and a bit scared, and she said, "Um, uh, just, just wait there a minute, please." And she went away, and then she came back with a man that looked like an undertaker. He's wearing a black suit, had one of those top hats with the, the black crepe down the back. And he came up there and he said, Ah, it's yourself, is it, Robbie? Ah, Mr. James, he said. Fancy seeing you here. I thought you lived down in the village. I didn't think you lived here. Oh, I don't live here, he said. No, no, I'm, I'm, I'm here on business, you see. Oh, is that right? Oh, so what business would that be then? Is it somebody died? Yeah, it's the laird. The big landowner. It's the laird that lives in this house. He, he died last night. Oh, I'm terribly sorry to hear that. Ah, don't be, he said, said Mr. James. Why, why should you be? <laughs> I'll tell you. Nobody will be sad to see the back of him. But I'll tell you what. Seems you are here, and you're looking for work, are you? Yes, yes, I was looking for a wee bit of work. Well, I have a job for you, Robbie. I wonder if you could help me lay out the laird's body and put him in his coffin. You see, I have a couple of laddies that I work that work for me, but ach, they've gone off to Glasgow for the day, and it's left me in the lurch because I'm here on me own. So, if you would help me and do this job for me, I'll pay you thirty shillings. Thirty shillings, thought Robbie. Wow! And then he started calculating, how many bottles of whiskey could I get at the inn for that? It was a few. It was a damn good day's pay. So he said, yes, of course I'll come and help you. Come with me, he said. So Robbie entered the house. Well, it wasn't a very nice feeling in that place. And it stank bad as well. And it was just an eerie, oppressive, clammy feeling in there that put a shiver up Robbie's spine. Robbie's spine was unfamiliar with shivers. Shivers in his spine were never in the same company. But that time, oh, it was horrible. And there, in the hallway as they were passing, there was a thing like a table, like some kind of altar, and above it was nailed two crosses, but they were upside down. Robbie didn't like the look of this place, and he was led into a dull little bedroom. And there in the bed was a sight that made Robbie's blood run cold. Because there was the laird, sitting upright in the bed, and his arms were stretched out in front of him, and they were all twisted. But the face, 
That's what Robbie couldn't get over was the face. The man's eyes were wide open, and yet the eyes were a strange red bloodshot, a red colour like he was filled with hatred. And his mouth was wide open as well, with dried saliva clinging about the lips, and his tongue was hanging out one side from its last death rattle. And the whole face, the whole countenance of that man, was a, a look of abject horror and terror on that man's face. What he seen at that end of his life, well, Robbie didn't even want to think about that. So they took hold of the body while he was so twisted up, upright, arms out, and the whole body all bent and twisted. They carried him over to a marble table and they laid him on that. And then they took off his night clothes and they got his, sh his shroud ready. Now, the shroud had been provided beforehand, and it wasn't the usual white shroud. This shroud was black, as black as the raven's wing. Well, they took them a lot of trouble and a lot of time to try to get that body straight. They just couldn't do it. And as the undertaker was pushing at those arms to get them down, there was the sickening crack of bone, which made Robbie shudder. But eventually they managed to get the body straightened out to an extent so that it would at least fit in the coffin. But if there was one thing that they could not do, was close that old man's eyes. Those eyes were wide open and staring in hatred and horror. And no matter how they tried, and they tried with their pennies on the eyes, they could not get those eyelids to cover those horrible, terrible eyes. So, once he was in his coffin, they got that lid screwed down on him as fast as they could. And then they got the young servant lass who was up at the house there doing some cleaning for the laird, and the three of them locked the door and set off down to the village. Robbie was never so glad to be out of a place in his life, and as they went further and further away, he started to feel a bit happier. And he started to think about the thirty shillings, and the inn, and what a good time he could have there in the inn, with thirty shillings. So, down they went anyway, and they got to the shop, the undertaker shop, where Mr. James both worked and lived. He had apartments, uh, a flat above the workshop. So, he went into the workshop, and Mr. James says, you wait there, Robbie, and I'll just pop upstairs, and I'll get you your money. So, off he went up the stairs, well, Robbie wandered into the workshop, and there, over in the corner of the room, were sitting two laddies. And he went over to them and he said, Don't you work for Mr. James? Aye, they said. Yeah, we work for Mr. James. I heard that you were in Glasgow. 
No. No, we're not in Glasgow. I've just been up helping them up at the Laird's house there. Well, the men's eyes stared wide open. And he said, He told me that you were in Glasgow. No, 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 not about us. No, we're not in Glasgow. Haven't been for a while. But why weren't you up there? <laughs> we weren't up there because we wouldn't go near that place. Why? Don't you know about the don't you know about the big hoose and, and the black laird? No. You mean you've never heard of the laird of the black arts? No. Can't say I have. Oh well, Robbie, he said uh, see the laird that lived up there, well, he dabbled in the black arts, in black magic. They say, and he looked around him a bit nervously, they say that he'd sold his soul to the devil. Yeah, and, well, there is no way that I would set foot over that door. Me neither, said the other man. No, we're not going near him. And the thing is, says the first one, the max are even worse, as there was bad blood between the Black Laird and Mr. James. Oh, what, why that, said Robbie. Well, it was a lassie, you see. A long time ago, there was this young woman came for Glasgow, and she settled in the village here. The Laird took a fancy to her, and he started to court her. Well, he courted her, with fair words and ugly looks. But she started to actually quite like him. Now, it was thought that it was his spells that did that, though. The lassie was in danger. And Mr. James met her, and they became friendly. And when he heard that she was pally with the laird, and that she was going into dangerous territory there, he told her that she would be best going home to Glasgow, and he even gave her the money to go home with. She, he gave her, her her fair home. Well, when the lassie disappeared for the village, the black laird started asking people, where did she go? Where's she off to? Glasgow, they said. She's gone home. How come? She never had any money or anything. Oh, Mr. James gave her the money. Oh, did he indeed? And you see, the thing is, Robbie, the black laird, he put a curse on Mr. James. He said, I'll get my revenge on you one of these days, he said. Even if it's after my death, I will have my vengeance on you. That's why you wouldn't get us to go over the door of that house. Not for a king's ransom would we do that. Well, Robbie stood there thinking, hmm, that's all very strange, but Mr. James came down with the money, and when he saw Robbie talking to his helpers, his, his laddies, he, there was a look of embarrassment on his face. He knew he'd been caught out. But Robbie just played light of it and made it was like no big deal, you know. Um... There is one more thing that you could maybe do for me, Robbie, he said, Mr. James. Uh, the funeral will be tomorrow at midday. Um, I wonder if you 
could come and help me at the funeral because it's just me on my own again. So uh, if if you could help me with the, with the funeral, I, I'd really be most grateful. So no problem, he said. I'll I'll come and help you. So that night he went to the inn, Robbie, and he bought himself whiskey, and he had a bottle to take up the road with him as well. And he had a few drams, but not too many, because he had a funeral to attend the next day, and he wanted to make sure that he did it properly, show some decent respect. So he slept that night very happily. And the next day he was up, he got himself all tidied up, he dressed himself up as smartly as he could, had a wash, and he went off to the graveyard. And at midday the funeral took place. But what a day, and what a funeral. You see, although it was summer, that morning was just as cold as winter. And it was drich. Oh, it was drich. I don't know if you know what drich means, but it's when you, it's when you get that really fine, misty rain that that chills you to the bone and low grey cloud that's drich and so it was a drich day and he was frozen to the bone in no time at all was robbie and he walked up to the kirkyard and he couldn't see the village there was just this mist swirling about that was just fine rain that soaked you and chilled you to the bone and when he got in the graveyard well there was the grave digger and Mr. James, the undertaker. And the only other people there were two strange women. And boy, were they strange women. Robbie thought they looked like a pair of witches, long, tangled grey hair, and a face that actually made you, made a chill run down your spine when you looked at them. Now Robbie's spine and chills running down them were starting to become accustomed to each other, because... This had never really happened before, but in this last 24 hours he'd had more chills going up that spine than he'd ever had in his whole life before. Now, the thing is, there was no minister there. There was no prayer said. There was no words said over the grave. No one said a thing. But these two strange women, they set up a terrible keening and their cries and shrieks were like that of the banshee. It cut you to the bone. It terrified poor old Robbie. And they screeched there in this sort of strange chant that they recited over the coffin. And then they lowered the coffin down into the grave, Robbie and Mr. James. There wasn't much to the old black laird. He was an old, old man, and he was thin. So they lowered the coffin into the grave, and the two women, they took a handful of earth each, and they cast it into the grave, muttering some words as they did so. And then they turned around and they walked out the gate. Well, once that was done, Robbie and Mr. James could head off as well and they could hear the clunk of the earth and stones hitting the top of the coffin as the gravedigger started filling in the grave again. Well, strange thing is, 
after Robbie left the graveyard, he had a terrible feeling of emptiness and loneliness, the likes of which he had never had in his life. And he went down to the inn early, because he wanted the company more than the booze. He wanted to be around people. He didn't like being on his own. And it was still misty, and still clammy and horrible and cold. So he sat by the fire in the inn, and he drank, and he spoke to people, and everything was fine until the time came when he had to go home when the inn was closing. And Robbie set off up the road, and for the first time in his life, he felt afraid going past the gates of the graveyard. That graveyard had never bothered him at all in the past, but tonight he feared it. And it felt as though there was an evil hanging in the air, an evil that he could almost touch, almost taste. Well, Robbie took a good dram and went to his bed, but he lay there awake. Sleep would not come to release him from the terrors that he felt, the evil that he felt all around him, and he could hear the sound of the animals and birds at night, the owls hooting, and the foxes barking with a strange haunting cry. And he lay there, and he couldn't sleep. And about three o'clock in the morning, he heard it, a voice calling his name, Robbie! Help me, Robbie, help me. Well, Robbie's blood ran cold, but he thought, No, no, get a grip of yourself, man. It could be somebody in trouble. It could be somebody injured by the road. And they know that my tent's here, so they're calling to me for help. I can't ignore a cry for help. Oh, but God, he wanted to ignore that cry for help. But he got up, and he got himself dressed, and he pulled his coat around him, and he went out to the tent. Robbie! Help me, said the voice again. It seemed to be coming from the kirkyard, from the graveyard itself. Robbie walked down slowly to the gates of the kirkyard. When he got to the gates, he, he thought maybe somebody had been injured. Somebody was lying in the kirkyard there, ill or injured, hurt. And he called out, Hello? Who's there? Robbie, help me. Well, Robbie opened the gate, and he went into the graveyard. 
and he'd only gotten a few steps when suddenly there was a flash of light like lightning, and something hit him, a force, an energy of pure evil hit him and knocked him flat on his back on the ground. Well, he was knocked unconscious. But after a short time, his eyes flickered open. But they were not the eyes of Robbie Ha. They were red and staring with hatred and fear. And then his body stirred, and he got up and he raised his great form up on his legs. And he laughed, a wicked evil laugh. <laughs> and he headed down the road, out of the graveyard, and down towards the village. This was not Robbie Ha that was walking to the village. It was the black laird had possessed his body, and now was going to use him as an instrument of his revenge. He carried on walking, awkwardly, clumsily walking, like the spirit inside him was having difficulty to move those legs in the direction that he wanted them to go, but on they went until they got to the undertaker's shop, there where Mr. James lived above the shop. Now, Mr. James never locked the door of his shop, because people would come to him at all hours of the night to tell them that a loved one had died, and he would set off to do his trade. So, Robbie Ha came to the door of the undertaker's shop, and he opened it, and he went in. And in a toolbox that was lying in the workshop, he took an awl, a great, long, pointed awl. The blade of it flickered in the moonlight and gleamed the cold, long, pointed steel. And then he walked up the stairs, slowly towards the bedroom where poor Mr. James was lying asleep. Well, Mr. James was woke by the sound of the heavy footsteps on the stairs. He thought, oh, it must be somebody that someone's died and they've come for my services. So he lit the oil lamp by the side of his bed and then the door opened, he could hear someone fumbling with the door handle, and slowly it opened, and into the room stepped Robbie Ha. Well, Mr. James looked at him and said, Oh, Robbie, it's you, he said. God, you frightened the life out of me there. Uh, what can I do for you? But why are you here at this hour of the night? And then, when he turned the lamp up slightly more so it was a bit brighter, he could see the staring red eyes in the head of Robbie. And he could see the hatred that was glinting from them. And Robbie said, <coughs> in a sneering voice, 
I've come for my revenge. I told you I would have my revenge on you, either in life or after death. Well, Mr. James realised that this was not Robbie Ha, <coughs> not in his full possession. And he lunged at him. Robbie lunged at Mr. James, and he grabbed him by the throat. I told you I'd have my revenge, he said. Oh, even from beyond the grave it is sweet. And he lifted the awl, grabbing, still holding Mr. James by the throat. Poor Mr. James couldn't do a thing. He was too big, too strong, too powerful. Robbie was strong anyway, but now he possessed the strength of an ox. And he raised the awl above his head, ready to plunge it straight into the heart of Mr. James, when suddenly a look of shock crossed his face, a look of shock in the face of Robbie Ha, and he said, Ah, I've been cheated! And he dropped the awl. It fell on the ground with a clatter. Cheated! he repeated, and then fell on the floor in a heap. Well, Mr. James went and sat on the edge of the bed, steadying himself with his arms, in shock. And then, eventually, after no time at all but what seemed like a lifetime, Robbie Ha's eyes flickered open, and this time it was the eyes of Robbie Ha not the eyes of the black laird. And Robbie was as shocked as Mr. James. Where the hell am I? he said. How did I get here? Do you not remember a thing about it, Robbie? No. I remember hearing a voice and going to the graveyard, and I don't remember a thing after that. I think he could do with a glass of whisky said Mr. James. I don't know about you, but I could do with a glass of whisky. So Mr. James poured two glasses of whisky, and he handed it, handed one of them to Robbie. Robbie gulped it down, so did Mr. James. The bottle was flashed again, another dram. And then Mr. James told Robbie all about what had happened. And he told him as well, about the curse that the laird had laid upon him, and how he had always sworn that he would have his revenge. He told them about the lovely young lass from Glasgow, and how he was feared that the laird may corrupt her with his black arts. That's why he'd given her the money to go home. He wanted to see her safe. She was a nice lass. She deserved better than that. But... He still couldn't figure out what had happened, why the laird had suddenly lost power. Now they'd sat talking for about an hour. There was no thought of any more sleep that night. When they heard a knock at the door downstairs, it made them chump when they heard it. And then a voice said, Hello, Mr. James. Uh, up here. So, the man came up the stairs, and he came in the door, 
and he was just a young laddie. And he said, Mr. James, I'm from down the glen. Uh, old Morag, I'm afraid she passed away about an hour ago. And um, so I just came, I've been sent to come and get you. Aye, no bother, laddie. He said, I'll, I'll be there soon. Don't, you just go back and I'll follow along behind you in about half an hour. Okay, thank you, sir. And the young man left. And then he turned to Robbie and he said, I think I understand what's happened now. You see, there's an old belief here in the Highlands, I'm sure you know it well, Robbie, that the last person in a community to die becomes the guardian, the keeper of the graveyard. They are the keeper of the grave. And they, their spirit is bound to the graveyard, watching over it, taking care of it, until the next person in the community dies and then they give up their keepership of the grave, and they can rest where the next dead person then has to take over and be the keeper of the graveyard until the next one dies. When the laird died, he became the keeper of the graveyard, and he used his black magic to come back and to possess you, Robbie. It was him that called you there, and it was him that took you over, and he would have had you murder me, and he would have had you hang for the crime as well, because everybody would have thought that you had murdered me. Well, the thing is, when old Morag died, he was no longer the keeper of the graveyard, and so he had to pass away to hell down to his master, and I'm sure he'll give him a warm reception, and well-deserved. But that is why he lost power, just at the moment he was going to strike me in the heart with that all. Old Morig died, and he lost all his power. So that's why we were saved, both of us. Me from the all, and you from the rope, Robbie. Aye, I guess so indeed. Well, by this time, it was starting to become light. So Robbie went up the road, and the first thing that he did was he packed his tent, and he set off on the road again. Now Robbie loved the highlands, and he loved all the beautiful little villages tucked away in the highlands. But he never had the heart to ever return to the Highlands again. He travelled around the lowlands of Scotland. And, you know, there was times when Robbie would be sitting in the pub and somebody would say, I bet you seen, must have seen some strange things in your time on the road, Robbie, some uncanny things. Well, Robbie had a story to tell them that would make their blood run cold.